How about Captain Crunch's Crunch Berries with breakfast? Whoa, Dad, we're on. Crunch Island. It's Jean Foot. <laughs> and he stole our crunch. Quick, the zip line. He's getting away. Throw our last crunch berry. No. No one steals my crunch berries. I think you mean my crunch berries. Choose your own crunch venture with Captain Crunch. For 25 years, nothing has tasted better after a hard day's work than a Mike's Hard Lemonade. It's because since day one, Mike's has been making lemonade the hard way. We use three kinds of lemons, all handpicked from family farms, then blended to perfection in cold press to create the epic hard lemonade you know and love. Mike's Hard Lemonade. Hard days deserve a hard lemonade. Mike's is hard. So is prison. Don't drive drunk. Premium all beverage with flavors. All registered trademarks used under license by Mike's Hard Lemonade Company, Chicago, Illinois. Hello and welcome back to Highway to Hoover, a production of SEC Extra at D1Baseball.com. I'm your host, Joe Healy, joined as always by my trusty co-host, Mark Etheridge. After three consecutive weeks of interview episodes with the new head coaches around the league, and, and by the way, if you've not listened to those, please go back in the archives and listen to those. They are, I mean, obviously we're biased, but they were excellent interviews. Really, really good stuff from first Kerry Jackson at Missouri, then George's West Johnson, most recently uh, out as you're listening to this is Alabama's Rob Vaughn, all really engaging conversations. Um, if you're fans of those programs, I think, look, they, they the phrase winning the press conference, right? I think all three win the press conference from that standpoint, or they, they, they won the podcast, I guess, uh, you know, obviously they have to go now and, and out there and, and do it. But certainly I think if you're a fan of those programs, you had to feel good about the things you heard on our air. Uh, the last last few weeks. So after those three episodes, Mark and I are back, just the two of us today. We're, we're going to take a look ahead at the fall. Um, and I should say, before I do that, I, 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 I botched my intro a little bit. This episode, as always, brought to you by Brock's Gap Brewing Company in Hoover, Alabama. Can't go an episode without mentioning our friends over at Brock's Gap Brewing. So thank you again to them. But yes, we are going to look ahead to the fall. It's you know, we're recording this a little bit early because I've got some vacation coming up. So we're getting it in the can, as they say, a little bit early. But we're recording this on Monday, August 28th, uh, ahead of time. So as we're recording this, players are back on campus. Teams are going through individuals right now, uh, for the most part. Mm-hmm. Teams that are kind of in the more northern reaches of the, the, the conference footprint are probably starting up actual fall practice here in the next couple of weeks. And then really with the SEC you know, some of these warm weather schools, I know LSU doesn't really wrap until like, late yeah. November. Uh, yeah. So it's a pretty long fall period given that, you know, it's a pretty stretched out geographic area. So we'll have a, a long time to kind of observe the fall, which is nice. And Mark and I are both planning on getting out to some fall stuff, more details on that as, as, as time goes on, not just for the typical D one baseball fall report stuff we do, but, but also we've got some other ideas that we kind of want to you know, give a go for the fall and see if we can't bring you something a little bit different for fall coverage, which is is, is always our goal here at SEC Extras to do something a little bit different. So a look ahead to that. But today we're going to talk about fall storylines. As the fall gets going, what are just some top of mind things that we're thinking about uh, for all 14 SEC clubs? And again, we'll have to see it play out. But but you can, I think even just going into the fall, you, you kind of have an understanding of of where a team has questions or where you're wondering about or where the the position group needs to be replaced or 
you know, whatever. Um, and those are kind of things that I think we're going to be watching as the fall goes on. And then by the end of the fall, you, you tend to have at least some semblance of an answer on some of the questions you have. And if you don't, then it really puts, <laughs> puts a spotlight on spring practice before yeah. the season. Cause that's your, your last shot. So anyway, we, we've split it up East and West. Mark has covered the West teams. I have the East teams. So to kick it off, I'm going to throw it over to Mark. Mark, give us your yep. first West team. And then we'll talk a little bit about what you're looking for for that team. Yeah, let's let's start with Alabama. Uh, I think w- with Alabama, obviously the it's with the coaching transition, a whole lot of interest on all these new players that, that have come in and how, because and how they'll I guess integrate w- w- within the whole program. Most of the young players, or excuse me, most of the returning players are young. I mean, they're, they're talented, but. Most are unproven or at least unproven in the roles that they'll be asked to play uh, this spring. And then you're going to have these older people who have been successful, usually at smaller colleges, come in and compete and and maybe add some seasoning to to that whole mix. I think that's going to be interesting. The other thing I'll point out, and and this is kind of Alabama's not the only team in this situation, but. Uh, the health of Ben Hess, you know, he got shut down last year. He was the ace uh, from, for much of the year and uh, they had hoped they'd get him back and it just never really, never really happened. Uh, what, what's his status this fall? What, what's, is he going to be able to, to, to pitch any of this fall or are you targeting for spring or what, you know, what, what's that, what's that going to look like? Yeah. Unfortunately, that's kind of the story of Ben Hess's career to this point is just mm-hmm. kind of these flashes of, stuff we really like mixed in with injuries. And and obviously last year he got more of a season yeah. than he did in, in 2022, but, but still we're kind of waiting on the full Ben S experience for lack mm-hmm. of a better way of putting it. And as we talked about with Rob Vaughn on our, on our last episode, they're really, you know, because of the guys they hung on to and look, they lost Luke Coleman. That's not great. They lost Cade Woods. That's not what you're looking for. Mm-hmm. And then they had some guys go off into pro ball, but there's really no reason why Alabama ne- needs to take a big step back on the mound, right? And keeping Jason Jackson, adding Mike Morris into the mix. Those are all good things for the pitching staff, I think. And there's some real talent here. Ben Hess is, is certainly a part of it, but don't forget Alton Davis. The second was, yeah. you know, arguably the best closer in, in the sec for a, a pretty decent stretch of time over the second half of the regular season. So I think they're still going to be pretty strong on the mound. And, and I think you're right to point out Ben Hess is just a, a linchpin for a lot of that. Um, you know, how good he is, I think we'll have a lot to say about how good Alabama is on the mound, just just by and large. So that, that's a that's a good call there. Sticking on the mound, I'm going to go to Florida first. Yeah. Um, the new look rotation, right? I mean, no no Sprout, mm-hmm. obviously there. No Waldrop, you know, one and done for Waldrop, being that he, that he was a transfer. You you kind of assume Cags is going to roll over into the same role. We know we don't need to you know kind of go back over his season. We know what it was excellent stuff when he was when he was good he was really good sometimes dominant when it was bad it was pretty rough so mm-hmm. there's a little bit of volatility there but you're gonna bet on a guy with stuff like that and, and there are other intriguing options here i think cade fisher is one certainly a guy who threw you know a lot of innings out of the bullpen got stretched out on occasion i think everyone very quickly looked at him as like hey this is this is one of the next guys uh, you know brandon neely you know maybe he's more valuable as like that super reliever, yeah, like, stopper. you know, yeah. stopper guy who can throw three innings at a time. Like he, you could, you could make a straight faced argument that that might actually be where he's more valuable. If 
he can really air it out and throw 45 pitches, you know, really strong. But, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe there is something to him starting there. I think freshman, freshman Liam Peterson is going to be a guy to watch here. Highly regarded freshman who got through the draft um, that, that they're really excited about it. And, and Florida is a team that is as a program philosophically, they are not afraid to throw the freshman out there yeah. in, in big roles right away. They've, they've done it before. They will do it again. They just, they believe in their pitching talent. And if, if I had Florida's pitching talent, I probably would too. So mm-hmm. uh, th- that's something to watch there though. I mean, they, they do have some questions on the position player side, but I think they were so, it wasn't perfect in the rotation last year, but they were just set, right? They were just going to, you know, they had Sprout and Waldrop and Cags, and they were just going to live with however that went. And for the most part, it went great, right? I mean, they got one win away from a national title. <laughs> Can't really mm-hmm. argue with the result. Um, so how well they're able to rebuild that on the fly this this fall into next season, I, I think is going to be a big factor for them. Yeah. And then, you know, with, with Cags in the lineup with Colby Shelton, you know, what does that look like? And and what kind <laughs> of other... pretty good. Yeah. What is, <laughs> you know, and, and obviously other guys are will step up and, and become part of that part of that lineup. So yeah, you mentioned that the pitching, I think that's, you know, Florida's always got the, always got the arms. It's just a question of, you know, how polished are they and, and, and can they get the right guys in the right roles? And sometimes, you know, that's a work in progress over the course of the season. So I, I that's, that's a perfect thing to work on in the fall. And, and that's, that's a good call out. I think that's, that's the big storyline for Florida. Hit us with your next West team, Mark. Yeah, I'll go with Arkansas. And, you know, last year, such such a great regular season, and they just they just ran out of pitching depth. And and that's what I want to see from them is how has that been addressed. Uh, from, a, you know, Hagen Smith is as good as anybody you're going to see. Maybe the, you know, he may be the pitcher of the year, right? He's certainly in the conversation. Um, and Brady Tiger can be that guy as well. And then what's his role? You know, they, they tried to start him last year. Does he go back to the bullpen? Um, you know, as long as you know, if he's healthy, he's good either place, right? And then a guy like Gage Wood, you know, who was so good at, at the end um, for most of the year as a freshman and kind of kind of hit the wall towards the end of the year. Um, what are those What do those roles look like uh, for the Razorbacks? So that that to me is you went from a team that you know a lot of times they had to kind of scuffled to get through a three-game series. They just didn't have enough guys that that were were consistent enough, um, but but still had so much success. So if they could find that, you know, that those extra two, three dependable arms, I mean, it just takes them that much farther. Because even though the, the offense has turned over somewhat, I have confidence that they're – I mean, every year they, they find – they plug guys in and they're able to be successful. So it's more for me is is finding a few more arms uh, to, that they can depend on. I don't know if I said it on an episode that you and I have done. I think more likely it was on one of the episodes with with Runes and, and Aaron and Kendall, but I, I see Mason Molina as being one of the most underrated mm-hmm. pieces in the transfer portal this offseason. His numbers are, I think, better than most people think they are. And, and part of that is because Texas Tech was, was kind of an anonymous team last year, right? I mean, it, mm-hmm. they weren't as for a couple of years now, they've not been quite as good as, as they have been in the past. They weren't real Omaha contenders, it felt like. But his numbers are really good, and like Lubbock is not an easy place to pitch. Mm-hmm. And so th- there's some strike-throwing things that he can clean up, that he needs to clean up, which which is also a thing with Hagen Smith, right? I mean, he's not right. the purest of strike-thrower. Um, 
but there's certainly swing and miss stuff there for Molina. I, I was talking to someone about Mason Molina the other day, and he said there's confidence internally for Arkansas that they could add a tick or two to his stuff. And, hmm. you know, he was kind of a 90, 92, 93 guy at, at, at tech and Arkansas being a pretty forward thinking pitching development mm-hmm. apparatus, uh, you know, it, the injuries are the injuries, you know, like obviously that's been an issue for them, but, but as far as pitching development, they're forward thinking and, and, you know, have, have a proven ability to kind of add things to pitchers. And if he's 94, 95, like now you're cooking, yeah. right. Um, if you're 94, 95 and you're in the strike zone, I mean, that that's going to mm-hmm. get out in the sec. So yeah, I think, so I think he's kind of an underrated piece. There is going to be a big part of, Hey, because again, with Hagen Smith, I mean, that's pretty good one, two punch. It's going to be hard to top. Will there be mm-hmm. a, a one, two punch as good in the sec? Probably just because the sec is going to have great pitching, but mm-hmm. it's going to set a pretty high bar to clear for sure. Yeah. Um, I'm going to talk about Georgia and you, and you mentioned the transfers for Alabama. Georgia's kind of a similar thing. I mean, it's just such a big transfer class and I understand why it right. had to be. Uh, that's not even really a critique right. because not only, not only was it clear that that roster needed to be infused with some talent, but it was also an old roster. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, that was kind of the, I don't want to say dirty little secret, but it was, it was kind of what that team was last year was, was, a you know, the guys who really, drove the bus for them outside of Condon. The guys who really drove the bus for them last year were, you know, Ben Anderson and Connor Tate and uh, Parks Harbor. You know, it was just guys who have mm-hmm. been around the block a time or two or six, apparently. And those guys are gone, right? And so now if you're Wes Johnson, I think, you know, maybe he wouldn't be comfortable saying this, but if you're Wes Johnson, I mean, you almost, that's almost a blessing in some ways. Like, yes, would you, would you love to have a Connor Tate in your lineup? Probably. But the flip side of that is that, you really do kind of get to start with a clean slate in a lot of ways um, and and roll out a new roster there. The jury is, so I think the jury has been decided. The jury is settled on these big transfer classes can help you like really just hit a hard reset button. Look at Texas A&M two years ago. And that's an extreme example because they got to Omaha, but even Kentucky last year. Right. And that wasn't perfect. And, And if you've not read the piece, on sec extra that Mark did on transfer hit rate, which Mark would admit, I'm sure that is not a super rigorous scientific metric. We just kind of took a stab at it, but it showed that, you know, Kentucky was kind of hit and miss, but the hits they got on their transfer class were big time hits, right? Impact guys, Hunter Gillum, Ryan Waldschmidt, Jackson gray, um, you know, Darren Williams, if you go back two years, um, they really hit on their transfers. And if you're going to take one of these big classes, that's kind of what you need. Would you love to hit on all, however many dozen of them? Sure. But that's not going to happen. So can you really hit on five and have those five be among your best players? That's kind of, feels like when you take these big classes, what you're really looking for. And to what extent can Georgia do that and be that we won't totally find out in the fall, but I do think you can read some tea leaves in the fall of, of how competitive is the fall. You know, how much are the new guys, really just taking hold of, of roles and kind of like, you know, taking, taking jobs for themselves and, or, or are the kind of returning guys going to make a push and, and both things can work out great as, as good as Kentucky was with some of the transfers. They also had guys like Emilian and Petre that weren't necessarily guaranteed much coming into the year that just pulled up a role and said, no, I know we've mm-hmm. got transfers here, but this is my job at second base. So right. either way, but. George is just going to have to figure all that out and figure out what their best team is, is moving forward. And that's, that's what the fall is for. Yeah. 
Yeah, and, and I do think, you know, we mentioned this with Alabama, but also it's true with Georgia. Just coming in and, and hitting reset and doing some things differently and getting some different energy uh, inside the program, different way of doing. Maybe your your goal is the same, but how you get there deviates quite a bit. And I think it'll be interesting to see how, um, you know, how under West that, that changes, especially pitching stuff. Right, because he he certainly has that reputation to to be able to get the most out of guys, and um, you know he's going to get the opportunity because Georgia's talent has not been the issue. They've always had guys that threw hard. They just haven't been able to to get the most production, at least consistently. And we'll, we'll see if if he's able to to sh- to shift that over the course of the next few seasons. Give us your uh, next one, Mark. I have a feeling we're headed to the plains. We are. It's it's uh, it's Auburn. You know where they're going to have a you know, basically a remodel facility. They're starting on those upgrades and uh, Plainman Park will, will look, you know, it's, it's going to going to kind of catch up, right? It's always been a beautiful ballpark, but it's, you know, it's kind of dated in areas and this, it's going to have some sizzle when they finish with it. And, and I, you know, that that's getting started there. Um, I think on the field uh, pitching wise, you know, that was the concern last year, especially once, once Joseph Gonzalez, you know, once, you know, he was such a big piece and you counted on him and, and he he's back. So kind of like what we talked about with Hess, what do you get out of him this weekend? How do you, I mean, this, this fall, how do you use him? How do you, you know, how do you go about this so that he doesn't run into any kind of issues like he did uh, last season? Because if he's on, then he gives you a guy who matches up with anybody in the country. And, and that's really what they didn't have last year. So, I mean, that's a huge key. And also just the, you know, new pitching coach there, you know. Um, so what changes? A lot of new players uh, and, and, and returnees from last year who who were in some cases maybe weren't quite ready to step into the roles they were being asked to, but they were just kind of, all right, you're what we got. Let's see if you can learn on the job. And, and, I, and of course, the fall was the best time to, to try to play with those play with those kinds of things and, and figure it out. So I think that for me is, you know, for, for me, I, I have confidence Auburn's going to hit. Um, they've been able to be successful offensively. It, for me, it's it's how good can they pitch and Gonzalez and then who's behind him. What, you know, who's going to step into that role, you know, to be this, uh, assuming he's Friday, assuming who's going to fill out the, the other two spots. Yeah, they – I'm assuming that they like what they have on the mound because they, they took transfers, most of them on the position player side. Mm-hmm. Now, now, some of that is there are good position players to be found in the portal, like all over the place. You can't swing a cat without hitting some guy that hit 340 with 12 right. home runs in the SOCON, right? Like <laughs> that seems easy to come by. But, you know, the pitching is is different. So that's okay. That's part of it. But I also have to take that to mean that they like what they have coming back. Yeah. And, that to me says good things because I think they look, you know, Butch would know. Right. Um, but that is going to be a thing to, to a question to ask and being healthier will, will help for sure. But they have a lot of guys, you know, I think back to last year and it was just, they had a bunch of guys who would show you flashes and put together a good couple of weekends but it was just never everybody at the same time, mm-hmm. you know, it was like Tommy Vale came on, but at the time it was like, well, Tommy Vale's the only guy here who's really like, you know, and then Connor Copeland would have some good moments 
yeah. you know, and you know, early in the season, um, who's the righty that low slot? Um, awesome. No, uh, Armstrong, right? Armstrong. John, yeah, John Armstrong. Yeah. yeah. Like early yeah. in the year, Armstrong was like, you know, was looked like, Hey, this guy's a real piece out of the bullpen. And mm-hmm. he had some nice moments, but he faded. Allsup's a great one, right? Mm-hmm. Stuff is great. He comes in, he looks great sometimes, not so great others. Herber holes like really yeah. sneakily was pretty doggone good late in the year, yeah. but it took him a long time to get there. <laughs> and mm-hmm. so they like their guys. It's just, they really, I mean, this goes out saying, but they just need more of them to be pitching well at the same time. Yeah. And, and Crotchfelt was a guy that they, they really yeah, great, liked heading in. Yeah. He, yep. You know, as a freshman last year, great stuff. You know, he's just got to, you know, got to learn, got to learn how to, how to pitch in college a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that is, I think that's a, that's a great point by you. Just, I think it's like, who, who are the guys? They, mm-hmm. they, they clearly like the guys. It's just, and can they come out of the gate pitching better collectively? Or pitch better in May that, you know, Butch is kind of uh, the hallmark of the Auburn program under Butch has been that they tend to be far better in May than they are in February. Um, so, look, as, as long as they like what they got by May, then all right, you know, um, yeah. I'm going to trust them on that. So yeah. uh, I'm going to talk about Kentucky, and I, I'm kind of fascinated by the question of are they going to like how dyed in the wool dedicated are they? to running the type of offense they had last year where they like blew away the league in terms of sack bunts. Uh, they ran quite a bit. I'm guessing yes, that they're going to kind of run that back. Now, will it be as extreme? I don't know. They lost Jackson gray. Who's a, a really good athlete. Um, you know, they, they, there are some other guys that, you know, Jace Felker was kind of a guy who fit really well into that, but you look at some of the guys they brought in, you know, Ty Crittenberger is a, athletic outfielder who runs a little bit like Nick Lopez is not a runner, but he's like a versatile defender who can handle the bat and plays a lot of different positions. One of their incoming freshmen, Griffin Cameron stole a whole bunch of bases over the summer in the prospect league. Mm-hmm. So I, I think they're sending us signals that this is still the way they're going to operate. Now, that being said, you know, and I've talked to Nick Mangione about this, like, you know, he's always, he's been pretty clear about like, look, if, if we have power, like we're going to let our guys swing. You know, Hunter Gillum was not necessarily, you know, he did bunt some like he, and he took pride in that as an individual, but like they weren't asking him to go out there and bunt for hits necessarily. (laughs) Like they were letting him swing. And you look at, you know, is this James McCoy's breakout? Like he's a good athlete. He can run, but he's got big time power when he connects and he had a pretty good summer on the Cape. Is he ready to break out? They brought in Ryan Nicholson from Cincinnati. That's a guy I'm confidently going to say is not going to do a lot of running, (laughs) but he's got big time power. So there are some guys here. I think that, you know, Devin Burks ultimately is, is a guy who I think is going to be a guy in the middle of the order again. He's got power. So could they have a little more thump? I think so. But I do think that the, the heart and soul of what they're doing is going to be what we saw last year. And look, you can't, were there times when, look, that type of offense, when it goes bad, it looks really bad because you're running into outs and striking mm-hmm. out on attempts and things like that. So there are always going to be moments where you just like slap your forehead and say like, what are we, what are they doing here? That being said though, you really can't argue with the results. I think that offense kind of overachieved their talent level. And I, I don't mean that disrespectfully, I, but I do think they kind of overachieved the talent level offensively because they were able to play a style of ball that nobody else was playing and do it really, really effectively. So yeah. can they recreate that? We'll see. But, but I do think we are going to see some version of, of something similar. And, and I'm looking forward to asking Nick Mingione and people around that program about that this fall and before the season, because I think it is just an interesting subplot in, in the league. Yeah. And last year was certainly a breakthrough. You know, it had been the, 
they were just outside the regionals for a couple of years in a row and maybe had some bad luck, had some injuries at times and just couldn't, couldn't take the, the next step. And last year was, you know, they got up to such a good start and just how can you use that momentum of, of it, you know, being able to host a regional, being able to, to win it and, and go play LSU in the supers, right? If you get a different draw, maybe you're in Omaha. So it's th- those kinds of things how do you build on that? And that's, I don't know how much of that we'll see in the fall, um, but, but it's certainly a, a big storyline for, for Kentucky as, as they try to take the next step as a program. All right, Mark, where are we headed next? How about let's talk about the Tigers. Um, Never heard of them. I'm kidding. Please don't come for me. Yeah, you. National <laughs> champions. Um, I, I do think that, yeah, you know, there were a lot of talented players last year on that, on that, especially on that offense, who were just squeezed out of at-bats. There just weren't enough places. They would have played on, you know, many, many, many other other teams, and there just, there just wasn't room. So I'm, you know, really curious to see, I mean, guys like Paxton Kling, I mean, Jared Jones, uh, maybe Ethan Fry. What, what do they do? heading into to, to this fall where they have an opportunity to not just be everyday players, but they could be, they could be superstars. Okay. Cause they, they certainly have the ability is, are, are they ready to take that next step? Obviously Tommy tanks is back to, to, to be in the middle of the lineup, but he had so much protection last year and, and sort of, he was the protection for, for, for Dylan a lot. So just being able to, um, to find out what those roles are going to look like, cause there's no shortage of talent. Um, and plus in the middle of the infield, what's that going to look like, uh, without Thompson and, and Dugas, um, they brought in Braswell from, from South Carolina. They've got a very, what, three very talented freshman infielders who somehow didn't go in the draft. So they're all there. Um, I, I think that's going to be really interesting. And I, I kind of expect that they're going to go into the spring and it's going to be a lot of bracketed oars on that depth chart because there's going to be, going to be a lot of competition. Uh, but, but this fall, you know, people get their first shot at it. So that, that to me is, is interesting. And then uh, obviously I don't want to take all your talking points, but, but on the mound, um, you know, with, with Holman, um, with, with uh, Javen Coleman, with um, Cam Johnson, the, the freshman who's, you know, just a, a massive human who, yeah, can, can really chunk it. Uh, what, the, what, what is that going to look like? But I do think that there's plenty, you know, for, for a team that, that expected to be so good, they, they do have some questions. And so going into the fall will be fun. It's, it's good problems to have because you have a whole lot of good players, but uh, you're not quite sure who's going who's gonna to be in what spot. And, and that's exciting. Yeah, I, I remember back to last year when, you know, Kendall had talked to to Jay Johnson like as as towards the end of the fall, maybe it was early spring, you know, spring practice, mm-hmm. whatever it was. And Jay, in talking about his team, started on the mound and was really excited about the mound. And and I'm not saying he was like sandbagging or anything. I think he was legitimately excited. And you know, it's hard to remember now, but they were excited about guys like you know Grant Taylor and Chase Shores, mm-hmm. who ended up not really factoring in. Right. Um, but I do remember looking at that being like, are you sure you're not more excited about the fact that you have like Dylan Cruz yeah. and Tommy White and Trey Morgan right. on the same offense? Like, you know, it's, mm-hmm. you know, the Gavin Dugas is the forgotten guy out there. Right. <laughs> so, but this year, 
it might be a team that's led on the mound, frankly. Um, I think that they'll still hit. Look, they tell us you, Jay Johnson's a great offensive coach. Like they're still going to hit, but it might be a, a team where that the pitching has to carry them a little bit while they figure it out. I, you know, I wrote a story last week based on, on Jay's like opening fall press availability and, and wrote about just like the competition on the position player side should be pretty intense. Cause outside mm-hmm. of Tommy white, you know, some guys who are going to play, you know, Hayden Travinsky is going to be in the lineup just about every day, but how right. much does he catch? Cause you've also got Brady Neal back there yeah. and Alex Malazzo is a good defender. Right. And you know, that means Jared Jones is probably only going to play first base or DH or something like that. But right. then you've, you've got other options over there. Right. Um, you know, the outfield, Josh Pearson, and you mentioned Kling, but like Josh Pearson and Mick Paul, and they've got some Bingham. freshmen they're excited about Mac Bingham. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. So it's, it's a, it's a great point. Um, that they're, I just, their lineups are going to be, uh, you know, it, this, this kind of strikes me as the kind of thing where I wouldn't be shocked if by the end of the year, they have the end of the actual season, they have, you know, 14 guys that all played more or less regular yeah. playing time starters because they've, right. right exactly. Mm-hmm. End up having years like Jared Jones had last year. It feels like Jared Jones ended up being a part-time player last year, but he, he started like 40 something games, I think. So yes, at the know, end he was, but it, it yeah for for the you know the, you're right the first half of the season he was an everyday guy and and looked the part yeah so that that's gonna gonna be absolutely fascinating couldn't couldn't agree more there hey everyone we're gonna take a quick break from our discussion to hear a couple ads from our sponsors how about captain crunch's crunch berries with breakfast whoa dad we're on lunch island <gasps> it's jean le foot <laughs> Crunch. Quick, the zipline. He's getting away. Throw our last berries. No! No I think you mean my Choose your own crunch venture with Captain Crunch. For 25 years, nothing has tasted better after a hard day's work than a Mike's Hard Lemonade. It's because since day one, Mike's has been making lemonade the hard way. We use three kinds of lemons, all hand-picked from family farms, then blended to perfection in cold press to create the epic hard lemonade you know and love. Mike's Hard Lemonade. Hard days deserve a hard lemonade. Mike's is hard. So is prison. Don't drive drunk. Premium all beverage with flavors. All registered trademarks used under license by Mike's Hard Lemonade Company, Chicago, Illinois. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com, to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. True or false, Walmart has eye care. True. Stop by Walmart to save and browse top designer frames right where you already shop. And they accept most insurance. Welcome to Easy Eye Care. Welcome to your Walmart. Um, Missouri, and look, this is uh, this is going to be my most like vague of the, of the, the fall storylines here. Just what are the vibes like? Mm-hmm. Because, you know, Carrick, when we had him on the podcast a few weeks ago, Carrick spent a lot of his, his time talking to us about, look, we, we don't have this. People talk about us like that. We've got to stop thinking about that. We've got to stop thinking like that. We've got to have a different mindset. We we've, 
you know, yes, we're not, we're going to deal with reality on reality's terms. Yes. We understand what we don't have, but we're not, we're not going to use that as an excuse. We're just going to, you know, and, and that's easy to say, I, I get it, but do those vibes kind of translate over to the fall? And it's a, it's a pretty new roster. Mm-hmm. They got some key pieces back. Logan Lunsford on the mound, Trevor Austin on the infield. Um, so, but it is going to be a, a pretty new roster and, and certainly even the guys who aren't new are untested. You know, you had a lot of guys transfer out. You had some graduate, you know, drafted, all that kind of stuff. So it's going to be a pretty moldable piece of clay. And I, I don't know how good they will or won't be, but I think there's going to be a lot of experimentation. And the fall, I think, will be the, the start of that. But I, I use the example of Kentucky. And Kentucky, obviously, this past season, much further along in its progression. But I just remember hearing a lot of stuff in the fall about, hey, like Kentucky the vibes are good at Kentucky and they think they're going to be really good. Mm -hmm. And like, they think they've got the formula. And then I saw them opening weekend against Elon. And I I went up there the Thursday before the series started just to kind of hang out at their practice. And I talked to a few players. I talked to some coaches and it was like, they were, and I don't mean this in a bad way. It's like they were brainwashed, like in terms of like, no, we we're going to be good. Like, and I'm like, okay, I don't, we haven't seen a lot of evidence of that, you know, but they were right. You know, you can argue, okay, they only won four SEC series, whatever. Like they got to a super regional. Mm-hmm. Um, they were clearly good. And so look, Missouri, I'm not saying that, Hey, Missouri super regional team, but I'm just saying you can start to hear some of that kind of stuff in the fall and in the early spring about a team's just vibes. And even if they go 10 and 20 in the SEC next year, um, is there positivity there? Is there signs of like, hey, this is this is what we're working towards? Is there at least a framework for what a successful Missouri baseball program looks like moving forward? Because to me, that's more what the 2024 season is is going to look like. And that starts in the fall. Yeah. Well, it's it's sort of for me, it's sort of rinse and repeat from Alabama and Georgia. I mean, they lost so many players either for, to the draft or just out of eligibility or to tra- or to the portal. So what is this what is this lineup going to look like what is this rotation and bullpen guys or arm barn guys if if we remember that term what what we're going to do <laughs> I, I think that that's for me is okay cuz there are maybe a couple of spots that you kind of have a decent idea either returning guys or you know high profile transfers but after that I mean, what, what's that going to look like? And it's not necessarily a bad thing because certainly there's an influx of talent. So that it, there's just so much, I guess, um, buzziness, you know, heading in from a roster standpoint and a lineup standpoint. That, that, that to me will be interesting to see what, what kind of idea we get, you know, two months from now. Yeah. No, yeah, no doubt. It's, it's, it's a cla- this is the most classic example of, um, what the fall is for, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, all right, Mark, you're up. Yeah. Well, let's talk about Mississippi state. New pitching coach, Justin Parker's in there. Um, I think all eyes are going to be on is the pitching staff better. Cause that offense should be really good. I mean, with Dakota Jordan, Hunter Hines, um, the middle of that lineup that they have some other, some other players they really like. I think that they got a chance to be, um, one of the better offenses, in, certainly in the SEC. So uh, it's just, you know, they're pitching 
was a problem last year and and that's why they make changes and that's why they went to the portal and brought in some new players and it's that's where the focus is going to be you know and it's going to be we just talked about Missouri there's definitely going to be some show me to this in Mississippi State because it's how are how is this because it's a big year obviously um for, for for Chris so I think that They've got to, if they could come out and pitch well and get some momentum and get some defined roles and have some depth, some options, um, this, that could be the right step as they head into the spring. And and then also year two with, with Sanja, you know, he had to learn a whole lot last year, Uh, pitching in the SEC, being a a switch pitcher. uh, What happens in year two? Do you? Do you focus more right-handed? Do you continue to, to, to switch pitch? Or do you pick your spots and do a little, you know, maybe to this batter, you're going to always pitch right-handed even though he's lefty because, you know, for whatever reason, change up or whatever. So how is that going to look? I, I think that's, you know, he's such a fascinating pitcher because he's so unique. Um, year two, you know, he has experience. He's not the young kid anymore. So I, I think that that's going to, that's another storyline to follow this fall. Yeah, this, excuse me. Yeah, I mean, understatement. Of, first of all, understatement of the year for Mark on uh, their pitching last year was a problem. Um, yeah, you could, you could say that, Mark. Yes, you. you I, think that's, I think that's safe. Yeah, a factual statement for Mark Etheridge. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's that's going to be it. I mean, there's really no other way to like. Yes, am I interested to see like you know Hunter Hines set the wood bat Cape Cod <laughs> home run league? Am I excited to see if he can hit thirty next year? Like, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so there are things that are, that are interesting outside of it, but it, it all comes down to everyone and look the Mississippi state beat covers baseball hardcore. So it's going Early. to, yeah, <laughs> it is going to be covered in the fall. How does the pitching look? Every scrimmage will be micro analyzed mm-hmm. and you can't blame them. Cause that is the story of the season. It is, that is the really, I mean, maybe the, maybe the defense, right? I mean, are they kicking balls around, but that's hard to tell in the fall. So it is, I think that is the storyline for Mississippi state is, is the pitching. And that's, that's really where it starts and ends for me. It may be the storyline for the whole conference. I mean, I don't think there's a bigger one. It's such a big job. It's such a big, you know, high profile program that's had all this success and they've underachieved. I mean, there's no other way to put it. So let's, let's, let's see what this looks like. Cause, uh, I do think that there's potential that the only deal is, and you kind of tease this a little bit with every time the, the pitching doesn't work well, well, they're facing really good hitters. So yeah. it's, it's going to be one of those things where if you can get these guys out, you, you should be in pretty good shape when you, when you hit the regular season, cause you're probably not going to see a whole lot like this. The, uh, in the case of Mississippi state, we know that their lineup is really good, but that is the classic mm-hmm. uh, double-edged sword of inter-squad scrimmages, yeah. which is like, you know, one side <laughs> dominates the other. Like, oh God, is it that yeah. we were really good at that one thing, or is are we really bad at the other? Yeah, yeah classic, you'd like you like more balance. Yeah, but then, sure. then you're just miserable, right? Because you, right. you don't think either one of them are any good. Right, <laughs> precisely. Yes. With uh, with South Carolina, you know, we're going to talk about transfers again. But look, that's that's college baseball in 2023 for you. Is their transfer class enough? You know, last year they got some good stuff from transfers. Honestly, considering how many transfers they took, I went back and looked at it and a lot of their best players 
weren't necessarily the transfers. The pitching was was not very transfer heavy, except for you know Chris Veach, obviously. You know, and I guess Noah Hall was a before he got hurt was a transfer from two years prior. But you know, generally speaking, it was it was Ethan Petrie and, and Braylon Wimmer, and uh, you know Michael Braswell did some good things late when he had was kind of forced into it, and, and the pitching obviously was was largely homegrown. Mm-hmm. But that being said, that you know, Will McGillis was sidelined by injury for quite a bit, only played half a season, but he was excellent in the time he was in there. Uh, Gavin Cassis really kind of changed the complexion of that lineup, especially early in the season with his middle of the order thump. And, and during conference play, he he hit the skids and it got tougher. But um, but they did have a lot of misses, as you now know, Mark, like doing that, doing the numbers, like they had cool. some misses and some of it was injury related. And that's not necessarily on them. You know, Jacob Compton was a guy who didn't even play last year because of injury. So that's part of it, but they've got another big class coming in. They, it, it's a little mix of, of everything. They've got, you know, Parker Noland, who's coming over from Vanderbilt. So just a, a proven player who has, I think, a, I think it's fair to say has a ceiling. Like he, he's not going to be the, probably the breakout star of the SEC, but it's a nice player. Um, hits for some power. They've got Kennedy Jones from UNC Greensboro. I think there's concerns about how does he handle SEC pitching, but he's certainly got power. I saw that on the Cape and, that's a good ballpark to have home run power because if you don't hit for average, but you hit 15 home runs. Okay. Well, you know, you'll take that trade a lot of times. So, you know, Blake Jackson from Charlotte athletic outfielder, Austin Brindling from North Florida athletic outfielder. You got some pitchers with, you know, Ty good, uh, you know, Drake Quinn is a quite, you know, there's just a, a lot of individual pieces from a lot of different, it feels like a very grab bag transfer class, which is not a derogatory term necessarily. Although I do think there is kind of a, negative connotation with that sometimes it kind of feels like you've just grabbed a bunch of players and there's really not a cohesive uh, underpinning to that and so i'm kind of fascinated to see by is this transfer class enough to get south carolina back to the stage they were at last year which you know before things kind of went off the rails with injuries they looked like they were a national seed and then as it turned out they had to really hang on by their fingernails to host can they get back to that stage are they more of a middle of the pack um, SEC club, you know, solid regional club. Are they a bubble team? Which, you know, for South Carolina fans, that's not going to go over well. Uh, I think there's a lot on the table for the South Carolina club. Uh, I'm looking forward to just kind of learning some, frankly, learning some names and getting a feel for what South Carolina's got and seeing these guys in the field because it is it is a pretty big mix and match of a, a lot of different players from a lot of different places on this roster. Yeah. I think for me, I mean, they lost so much pitching. Uh, what does that look like? You know, it's, yeah. it's certain, certainly there's there's opportunities, talented talented guys on hand. And you're not going to get back Eli Jerzenbeck because he's he right. went down with injury right. and is, right. is going to miss the 24 season. I, th- right. I think that's the official word, missing the 24 season. So, you know, he was the young, hot thing pitching-wise mm-hmm. for them, and you're not even going to have him. Right. So it's uh, – they're, they're definitely – concern i don't know if if maybe, maybe that's too strong a word but there's there's doubt on how that's going to shake out so th- that would would be something to watch really close this fall all right mark who do we got let's talk about Ole miss so Ole miss i mean last year was just another disappointment right it, nothing was good they had another factual star- statement from mark Etheridge. yeah nothing was good they, they, they had star power <laughs> But even that was, I don't know, it, it just it just didn't amount to, to enough production, certainly not enough wins. So what does the lineup look like this year? 
they're they have some some returning guys and they brought in some some high impact transfers uh, but they don't have that you know those three or four household names that everybody everybody understands and knows so what does that lineup look like you don't have to have those guys to be successful uh you, you can you can do it with volume and and that'll be interesting to see what Ole Miss does and then the other side is you know pitching wasn't good either so th- th- there's there's a lot of um talent and potential that's that's got to be realized and you know what about Hunter Elliott you know what what's the story there um is he going to be able to give you something this year so uh, you know Grayson Sonia was you know one of the most heralded freshman of the year and he had his moments but again consistency wasn't there can he make that next step and, and be a dude this year and if he does i mean we're talking about a whole different kind of kind of team if you've got those you know if those you know, freshmen from last year take that leap and so that's what hopefully we'll, we'll begin to find this fall i really I, i'm looking at the pitching as well for them i really like some of the the raw materials they have on the mound mm-hmm. Um, you know, even the, you know, you mentioned Sonia, uh, Sam Takoyan last year mm-hmm. was a freshman who, who showed some, some nice things, but wasn't, you know, altogether consistent as you would understand for a freshman. Right. So do those guys take a leap? And then they were, they were pretty aggressive in the transfer portal on pitching and they got, you know, Kyler Carmack from, from Arkansas state that, you know, has, has good stuff. And I'm, I'm kind of intrigued to see how that translates. Um, you know, they got Liam Doyle from coastal Carolina, another big arm that had a really nice year at coastal last year. And then Connor Spencer is kind of an overlooked guy at, from Southeastern Louisiana. Who's kind of been up and down, was up and down for the lions, but he had a big summer in the Texas collegiate league and just dominated that. I think it's 44 strikeouts in 20 innings or something mm. like just something insane. So, you know, if, if he's in the strike zone and if, if, if he's doing that now, look, the Texas collegiate league, not an upper crust summer league. Um, so it's going to be a leap, but you'd rather that than the alternative. So, um, I I am kind of fascinated by how the pitching shakes out because I I do think they have some promising pieces coming back. They're mixing in some transfers, felt like they were more aggressive this time around in the transfer portal and excited to see how it all ends up coming together. Uh, Tennessee, I'm interested in how the infield log jam works itself out. Now look, they'll figure it out. I'm confident. Uh, they're going to want all these bats in the lineup, but you know, you, you have Zane Denton coming back. Well, he was entrenched at third base. You also have Blake Burke coming back. He was entrenched at first base last year, but you add to that group, Cannon Peebles and Dalton Bargo. One of them will catch. I, I kind of give the edge to Peebles there. So Bargo has to go somewhere like he first base is a possibility, but there you've obviously got Burke he's a pretty decent athlete. Could he play the outfield? That's a, that's a question mark, but you're going to have to put him somewhere. I guess DH is a possibility as well, but then you've got Billy Amick from Clemson. Like that feels like your third baseman. Well, now Denton's moving. Okay. So mm-hmm. Denton can maybe again, DH is available, but also like, is he a second baseman? But if he is, then that pretty much guarantees you have to try Christian Moore at shortstop or maybe even like center field. He's a good mm-hmm. enough athlete for that, but he wasn't the cleanest second baseman. Is he better at shortstop? Maybe because his athleticism plays more? Maybe. But that's a question, right? Um, So you've just kind of got a lot of really good infielders who can really hit, just not enough positions for them. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I'm going to be fascinated to see how that that plays out. Good problem to have. 
I think any coach in the country would, would take that kind of log jam because you, you'll figure out how to get bats in the lineup. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it is a little bit of a defensive quandary that they're going to, to have to solve for a team, frankly, that has not been known for defense <laughs> the last, the last couple of years. Yeah. Well, I think you, you covered it on the, uh, on the position side on the mound. I mean, we've had the big three for the last two years and now there's just, just Drew Beam left. So it'll, so who else? Because Tennessee had so many arms last year. I mean, they had they had guys they'd love to use. They just didn't have enough innings for them. And uh, it'll be interesting to see this year. Is it going to be that same twelve to thirteen guys, and you're using them, you know, mixing matching at the end of the game, or do you more use a more traditional from a college baseball standpoint, where you have the eight nine guys and you, and, and they get the majority of the innings? And then maybe a pitch a little more. So I, I think that's that's something I don't know if we'll learn about that this fall, but we'll learn who who some of those primary contenders are. All right, Mark. One more. Uh, do I have that right? One more West yeah, Club for you. I've got A and M, and obviously, I mean the whole Braden Montgomery, the last minute transfer. Uh, what is he going to do? Uh, do you do you put him in center? Do you put him in right? Uh, what does he do pitching wise? Uh, can he come in and be your closer, right? Or do you want to, uh, you know, do you want to have a, a different role for him on the man? Maybe he can start. I don't know. Um, you know, with that, and it, A&M has some guys back. I, I think it's, you know, with, with, with Lavalette back, he should be one of the better, better players in the, in, in the conference. Certainly is, is, has as much ability as anybody, and he really got better. As the year went on, I expect big things out of him. And how about those two hitting, you know, in your heart of the lineup? We talked about Shelton and Cags earlier. I mean, this this is pretty good. This is, you know, and and Hines and and Jordan. I think you, you've got some some real nice duos heading into the season. Um, and I think the other thing is, A and M they didn't have enough pitching last year. Um, cer- certainly, uh, they've got a you know, in, improve that, increase that, or find some, you know, elevate some, some guys who had, who, who have the potential, just got to take the next step. I think the Braden Montgomery transfer is, is, is obviously it's big for the 24 season, but in the big picture, I think it's big for A&M to be in the mix for a transfer like that because they, A&M has not been shy about transfers, but they yeah. have typically not been a team that's ends up getting the big, ticket transfers you know lsu obviously is taking a lot of oxygen out of that room but tennessee's gotten their fair share of them as well florida florida yeah but a&m has not necessarily been in that that mix as much you'll hear their name but they they ended up not getting they they wouldn't wouldn't end up getting them for the most part they have a lot of like good guys coming up from the the mid-major ranks or or what have you but this is one of the first ones they've had that is just a, a showstopper from a transfer standpoint. So that's huge. And and you're, I think you're right to, to talk about the pitching and how that's going to, how it's going to work out. It's um, they figured some things out late. And I think that's important to remember that, you know, you, you and I, Mark, were there for like the pitching performance of the century yeah. from a bunch yeah. of guys who, who had bad numbers, frankly. Yeah. Um, but those guys were mostly pretty young. Mm-hmm. So, you know, how, you know, how much are they able to take steps forward? Um, you know, they've got some guys coming in on the mound transfer wise, but it feels mostly like, you know, maybe Eldridge Armstrong is a guy who could be a mm-hmm. starter or be a little something, but for the most part, it feels like relief arms, which is, they needed those. 
So we'll just have to see what the, the totality of the pitching staff looks like. And, and my final thing with A&M is, do they run Jay Slavulet out in center field? Or do they, you know, with, with Montgomery being there, I think it makes it more likely because Montgomery is just a perfect fit for right field. Yeah, that'd be uh, gone. Yeah. Yeah. And based on what we saw in the summer, like Laviolette in, in center field, I think could work. And, you know, it's a little too early to start talking about it. But, you know, if he does that and continues to, to hit the way he does, you're talking about a, you know, a 1 1 type of guy ultimately mm-hmm. in, the, in the 25 draft. So that'll be fascinating to watch. Okay. Last team here is Vanderbilt. Um, last, it seemed like last season, RJ Shrek taken out of the equation they were kind of over-indexed on offensively on gritty grinder, high on base, versatile, athletic Mm -hmm. line drive hitters. And that was fairly effective. I mean, it's hard to quibble too much. Okay. Sure. They lost in a, in a regional than a home regional, but okay. Like that's small sample, but largely, you know, that they, they won the sec tournament title. They, you know, uh, hosted, they, you know, so they did a lot of good offensively. But I do wonder if the my my question coming into this was does the offense shift to something a little more physical because I think that's what the type of offense they wanted to run last year was let's get let's not have a lineup full of guys who stand still and swing right mm-hmm. and I so I think they had that last year but does that shift a little bit as time goes on do they want a little more thump in the lineup and the answer of course is we'll see but, you know, kind of based on what they have coming back and the transfers they're bringing in, it kind of seems like the answer might be no. And this just might be who they are as a, as a club offensively now and the way they want to play. I mean, you've seen him more than I have, but Jalen Davis from Samford doesn't strike me as a guy. You know, he's hit some home runs, but hitting yeah. them at Samford and the SoCon's an offensive league. Yeah, he's a traditional Vandy kind of hitter. Yeah, and, and Jacob Humphrey from UMass Lowell is like, you know – a poor man's Enrique Bradfield. And, and I mean that in a nice way because he, he can really run. He's a center fielder. He'll probably hit for some average. The physicality is just, I don't know if it's going to be there on an sec level, but he's certainly going to steal some bases and, and play the outfield well and, and, and just do a lot of things with his, with his speed. Mm-hmm. So it just kind of seems like this is who Vanderbilt is offensively. And, and Hey, you know, the proof is in the pudding with how they played last year, that maybe this is a, a way forward for them after they had, some offenses previously that had a lot of swing and miss and a lot of kind of felt like standing around waiting for a home run or waiting for something big to happen. This offense can kind of make things happen a little more. And to me that the breakout guy potentially there is RJ Austin had a really good summer on the Cape. He's not the biggest guy, but the bat speed is real. Whether or not he becomes like a real home run guy is remains to be seen, but I think he's a guy that's going to have big time exit velo numbers that just might be expressed more in his doubles numbers than his home run numbers. But, but, but we'll see. Uh, but I'm looking forward to seeing to what extent does the offense this coming season look like the one they had last season. Yeah. Well, to, to kind of stay on the, the theme, I mean, Carter Holton you know, had some injury problems at the end of the year. What does that look like? Is it good to go? Right. That's, that's obviously the hope. And, Futrell's back too, right? I, I did remember that correctly. So that gives you two thirds of your rotation uh, returning and and feeling really good about it. I mean, so and that was a good rotation last year with with Owen being the third guy. So I mean, I think that's that to me is going to be interesting to see who can push and and try to move into that. You know, who's going to be that next elite guy? You know, to to move to because certainly. 
we we all see every year Vandy just brings in they just reload right they just bring in the the, the next phenom so it's you know on the mound it's it's where does the depth come from and and what what roles are we're going to have after those two two dudes I think I'm I put this in our internal uh, discussion channel here with D1 baseball at, at one point that I, I think next year we might be looking at a classic like a vintage Vanderbilt pitching staff when mm-hmm. you look at what they return and some guys that had great summers you know Grayson Carter for example yeah. Bryce Cunningham had an excellent summer they're bringing in Sawyer Hawks from Air Force and if he's not Paul Skeen's it's an unfair comparison but Skeen's stuff jumped the minute he arrived at LSU and was training to be a baseball player not being a pilot mm-hmm. and so does Sawyer Hawks have his stuff jump a little bit um, Levi Huseman from Coastal Carolina, big arm, you know, can they get the most out of, out of him? And then there's like all kinds of, you know, Ryan Ginther, for example, just a really steady, mm-hmm. nice piece that kind of gets overlooked, but had a really nice year. They've got some guys like that too. So it, it feels a little bit like next year's building up to a, a war machine type Vanderbilt pitching mm-hmm. staff that they've had before, but it feels like maybe it's been a couple of years since they've had. So I'll be, yeah, certainly be interested for that. All right, Mark, that feels like a wrap. How about it? Yeah, lots of good, lots of good storylines. And, and we're about to get, get these fall drills kicked off too. Yeah, it'll, it'll be nice. Like I said at the top, Mark and I looking forward to getting out on the road a little bit this fall and, and uh, pressing some flesh, as they say. The fall's a good time for just some yeah. FaceTime and, and seeing some, some players and some coaches in a little more relaxed atmosphere and, and getting to chat and, and get a feel for these teams. This is really when the work starts for the season, mm-hmm. right? You know, this is the, the early recon period. So we're both looking forward to that. We'll have more details on where we'll be and what we're doing and, and all that stuff as, as time goes on, but trust that we will be at plenty. And in addition to folks like Aaron and Kendall being at some SEC sites this fall as well, we, we will have plenty of fall coverage uh, at D1 Baseball generally, but especially here at SEC Extra. That is going to do it for this edition of the Highway to Hoover podcast, a production of SEC Extra at D1Baseball.com, brought to you, as always, by Brock's Gap Brewing Company in Hoover, Alabama. Uh, Thank you, as always, Mark, for joining me, and thank you, the listener, for listening. We'll talk to you all soon. The Highway to Hoover podcast is part of the SiriusXM Sports Podcast Network. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, please give a five-star rating and leave a review. Subscribe today wherever you stream your podcasts. How about Captain Crunch's Crunch Berries with breakfast? Whoa, Dad, we're on Crunch Island. <gasps> He's Jean foot. <laughs> and he stole our crunch. Quick, the zip line. He's getting away. Throw our last Crunch Berry. No! No one steals my Crunch Berries. I think you mean my Crunch Berries. Choose your own Crunch Venture with Captain Crunch. For 25 years, nothing has tasted better after a hard day's work than a Mike's Hard Lemonade. It's because since day one, Mike's has been making lemonade the hard way. We use three kinds of lemons, all hand-picked from family farms, then blended to perfection in cold press to create the epic hard lemonade you know and love. Mike's Hard Lemonade. Hard days deserve a hard lemonade. Mike's is hard. So is prison. Don't drive drunk. Premium all beverage with flavors. All registered trademarks used under license by Mike's Hard Lemonade Company, Chicago, Illinois.